Shall we pray? Uh, it's really nice to see the team standing up here. Thank you for coming up uh, from Colombia and from Canada and the mighty nation of Virginia. <laughs> Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we're looking at actually the apostles, you know that. It's full of your power and the stories of your mighty works and the, and the Holy Spirit at work through the people. And you know what it's like when people stand up and preach, the Spirit goes out of it and it becomes dead and it ceases to be living and active like it was then. And we don't want it to be like that. So if necessary, we're asking for miracles this morning, Lord. No, because I'm the preacher, but we want you to touch our hearts and lives, not because of the cleverness of the words, but because of the power of the good news which it proclaims. And we're asking you this in Jesus' name, and we're thanking you because you're much more willing to answer our prayer than probably we were to ask it. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who were at the AGM on Tuesday have already seen my sunflower. Do you remember at Easter, uh, we all had a, oh, took a seed home. Well, actually, we took a seed home. Do you remember Jenny gave us all sunflower seeds, and we came up here, and there was some dirt stuff, and there were some little pots, and we put our seed in the dirt and took our pot home. Um, that's what my sunflower has become now. Um, I think it's remarkable because, and I don't, I think I'm underestimating. I think there's more th than 300 seeds in that. One seed to 300 seeds is pretty awesome, isn't it? Because I've figured, and my maths is not the best in the world, but some of you are good at maths, so correct me if I'm wrong. If all of those seeds were planted next Easter and yielded 300 seeds, I think that would be 90,000 seeds. And if those 90,000 seeds were all planted that Easter and yielded 300, that would be 27 million seeds in three years from one seed that was sown into the ground this year. In other words, from one seed, you'd have a field of seeds. You'd have a business. Isn't that awesome? Um, it's God's maths bread for the eater, and seed for the sower. And I just repeat it as I did on, on Tuesday because God is greater than we give him credit for. And the scripture says he's able to do much more, abundantly more than we ask or think. And then it goes on, by the power at work within us. By the power at work within us. He's always put that Holy Spirit in us. And I'm not suggesting that we should have 27 million members in three years' time, uh, because I don't think we'd be able to handle them, to tell the truth. Um, but growth is part of God's business, fruitfulness. And we're looking at Acts of the Apostles, where the church grew from 12 to 3,000 in a day, and then to 5,000, and then continued to grow through the preaching of the Word. Now today we're looking at Acts chapter 6 and 7 and I have a problem. I have a problem because they're long chapters and not the most sensationally exciting except for little clips. 
But rather than do overmuch preaching, I'm going to read them. Now, if you want to stop and go back and get a Bible from the back for a moment so you can follow it, that would be great. And I'll just hang on for a moment. But we are going to read the whole of chapters 6 and 7, Acts of the Apostles. For those of you listening on the podcast, there are feet wandering backwards and forwards collecting Bibles. Now then, in those days, first verse of chapter 6, in those days when the numbers of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews something ethnic going on there, uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of God, the word of God, in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Uh, We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the truth. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they couldn't stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law, because we've heard him say that this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, would destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? To this he replied. So now as I read this, it's a sermon within a sermon. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said 
and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. But after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated for 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. God said, and afterwards they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. When a, family, when a famine struck Egypt and Canaan, then a famine struck Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers couldn't find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. And after this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. So Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As a time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and he oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being ill-treated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them but they didn't. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you're brothers, why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was ill-treating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. 
After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and didn't dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groanings and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, who made you a ruler and a judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts returned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. If you remember, back Moses had gone up a mountain and been away for 40 days. He was receiving the Ten Commandments from God. And uh, he'd been away for so long, they thought that he probably got lost. And that's what lies behind this. We don't know what's become of him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honour of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of heavenly bodies. This agrees with what was written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Molech, the star of your god Rephan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So, he's been accused of blaspheming Moses, and now he's just told them what they all knew about Moses. But he has reminded them, but they all tend to forget, that again and again they rebelled against Moses wouldn't listen to him, did their own thing, made their own idols. But Moses had said, God will send another prophet like me to be leader and judge, in other words. And Jesus had been that one. And Jesus had said to the Jews, if you don't believe the words of Moses, you won't recognize me. He says that in John. It's recorded in John's Gospel. And they didn't accept Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the one like Moses, whom God sent to be their Redeemer and their Lord. They crucified him. So he has been preaching Jesus 
That's the point. He has been preaching Jesus. They have picked up on Moses. He has to defend himself along the lines that they've picked up. But he's saying, no, look, you're talking about Moses, but you never obeyed him anyway, and you didn't listen to him when Jesus came, and you crucified Jesus, and you're done with Jesus exactly the same as you always did with, with Moses. Now he moves on to the question of this temple. The temple had been a problem for the Jews for many years. Even um, Jeremiah, when he was preaching uh, previously, in Jeremiah chapter 7, he, he told the Israelites, the Jews, don't trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of God. This is the temple. This is the temple. Because they were making idols for themselves, and they were making idols even of the temple. This is the only place on earth. This is where God comes. It's our temple. This is the place. We're the people who've got it. We're the people. So, again and again, the Jews had had that problem with this kind of religious idolatry. So now he's been accused of speaking against the temple and that Jesus would destroy it. Probably they're picking up on things which Jesus said. Jesus was misunderstood, remember? He said, destroy this temple in three days, I will rebuild it. And they said to Jesus, oh, it took us 46 years to build this. And John explains, but he wasn't talking about the temple they all visited to worship God. He was talking about the temple of his own body. And it sounds to me as though something of that argument which, which contributed to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is coming into this as well. Those sort of things don't go away easily. So now he's talking about the temple, beginning with the tabernacle. Our forefathers had the tab tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in their land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favour and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, and he's about to quote Isaiah chapter 66, However, the Most High God does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or well will my, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but you haven't obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look! He said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, this was the blasphemy for which they killed Jesus. Because when he was being interviewed, when he was under condemnation in the council, 
Uh, they said, are you the one? Are you the Son of God? And he says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, quoting from Daniel. And now, in this extraordinary vision, Stephen sees him there, full of the Holy Spirit. He's looking up into heaven and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. Remember when Saul was on the road with the whole of Acts of the Apostles we have the advantages of hindsight. When Saul in chapter 9 encountered God he encountered Jesus who was in the heavens at the right hand of God and Jesus said I'm the one you're persecuting. Why are you kicking against the goads all the things that prick your conscience you're kicking against them. This was part of it, a big part of it. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. As you read his story, you can't help but be amazed at his courage. Uh, we put out a vision statement, and you might be fed up with hearing it now. I hope not, but it goes like this. Rooted in Jesus, we want to be a people of conviction, courage, and passion, proclaiming him in all of life. Now, when you read of Stephen, you find all those things. You find the conviction, the utter, absolute conviction that Jesus is Lord. Jesus has transformed his life. Jesus has filled him with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one promised by God, the one spoken of by Moses. And just look at all this stuff that Jesus is doing all around him through the apostles. He's absolutely convinced and convicted of this. And that gives him courage to speak up. And boy, does he do it with passion. Now, one thing I didn't want to do speaking this morning was to speak in some, some way that somehow it sounded like the preacher was saying, you've got to be Stephen. No guilt trips here. Because you're not Stephen. In fact, seven men were chosen to uh, deal in the daily distribution. All of them got mentioned in chapter 6. Only two of them got another page in Scripture for themselves, so far as I'm aware. One was Stephen and one was Philip. They didn't all go out and do Stephen stuff. Do you see what I mean? What we're simply talking about is courage that arises out of conviction and rises up in passion. 
And the question is, simply how convinced are you about Jesus? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? I'm scared to ask these questions because I'm the preacher. Because you have a right to turn around and say, but I'm not sure whether you are, Dave. I hope you don't say that. But Lord, I want to be full of the Spirit because this is your word. And to have courage. I had a very strange experience this week. I was entirely on my own. can't remember where I was. Um, but it was somewhere not at home anyway. And I was leaning against something. And this thought intruded itself into my mind. Do you believe Jesus is risen from the dead? And you know, it kind of knocked the wind out of my spiritual sails. I found myself leaning against this wall or whatever it is, thinking, yeah, but do I believe Jesus is risen from the dead? Rising from the dead, after all, is... It doesn't happen normally. In this world of science and gadgets, do I really believe this? And for a terrible moment... I actually wondered if I did. And then I remembered how I became a Christian. I remember the miracle that happened in my life, that transformed my life. So that even my father recognized that something had happened, and before he even wanted to acknowledge God himself, said to me, you've met God. And I remember the transformation that took place in D. How did that happen? That wasn't, that wasn't people putting electrodes in her or anything or, um, or, or brainwashing her. What happened to D? the way she became a Christian and has become such a faithful wife? <sighs> That's the work of God. And I think of people through the years here, I mean, I'm listening to Mark and Julia there, what God has done with them over the years, I think. You did this, God. You are the living God. And people I've seen have been healed. And, and people that over the years I've seen have been released from dark powers and fears. I think, but you did this, Lord Jesus. You did this. You are the living Jesus Christ. You are living. I do believe this. I really do believe this. However odd it sounds, I'm certain in my heart Christ is risen from the dead. So does that rise, does passion rise in me from that? Not as much as it ought to have done. But passion rises from that. Hey, this Jesus is the same Jesus who was doing stuff all around Stephen at the time that he was there. Why was the church increasing so much? What was happening? Why were so many people becoming Christians and listening to his preaching? Well, mighty signs and wonders were being done in the name of Jesus. And the apostles were saying there's no other name among men uh, given among men by whom we were saved. And thousands were discovering it. That's and the Jewish leaders who had crucified Jesus had seen a notable miracle. And Mark, he preached about it probably the other week. A notable miracle. It said that a notable miracle has happened. We, we, we cannot deny. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Extraordinary things were happening and faith was building because Jesus was at work 
in his disciples and through the, through the good news of Jesus. And, and people could see this. Heavenly Father, please, we want to see a bit more of this now. We're talking, Lord, I'm talking to you, not this congregation. We're, we're, we're preaching from Acts of the Apostles and, and you're the same Lord Jesus and you send the same Holy Spirit and it's the same good news and we want, we're asking you to cause faith to rise in our hearts, to fill us with the Spirit again so that faith arises in our hearts, so that we become courageous again in, in a way that we perhaps haven't been. And Lord, that we just take you at your word. We want you to be free, Lord Jesus, to touch people in our communities, in our families, around and about in the, in the work that goes on during, during the week. This is our prayer, Lord. Since I went to Romania, where I was free to speak about Jesus wherever I went and people wanted me to, I've come back here feeling ever so slightly guilty because it's not so easy here, is it? But once a week, I go into a local school. And in that local school, I go into the staff room at lunchtime to have my sandwiches. Um, some of the staff are very nice, and some staff just, well, I'm just a guy who's there, and they get on with their stuff, and I sit and eat my sandwiches. Uh, but since I've got back, I've been saying, well, Lord, I really need to talk about Jesus here too, don't I? So um, I get my Kindle out and I start reading, not talking to anybody. And then somebody says, oh, what are you reading? Um, it's, um, well, it's called Gospel in a Pluralist Society. Oh, well, what's that about then? And last week I was reading another one, Sowing, Reaping, Keeping. Oh, you've got a Kindle. What are you reading? Oh, it's, it's about making Jesus known. And now I'm in the staff room and there's all these people around me. And on two occasions now I've been speaking with different people about Jesus. And do you know what? Neither of them screamed. <laughs> in fact, neither of them even turned off. Now I'm going to read the Courage song from The Wizard of Oz. It's not exactly scripture, this. Um, but you remember the lion had no nerve and no courage. He found it in the end. He didn't find it by being brave. He found it by sticking around his friends and not deserting them, whatever dangers they faced. Um, but he sings a song in the film about being king, which I won't bother you with, and at the end of it they said, say to him, your majesty, if you were king, you wouldn't be afraid of anything? Not nobody, not know-how. Not even a rhinoceros? Im Hosserous. What about a hippopotamus? Why, I'd trash him from top to bottomus. Suppose you met an elephant. I'd wrap him up in cellophant. Well, what if it was a brontosaurus? I'd show him who was the king of the forest. How? How? Courage. What makes a king out of a slave? Courage. What makes the flag on a mast wave? Courage. 
What makes the elephant charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusky dusk? What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the sphinx the seventh wonder? Courage. What makes the dawn come up like thunder? Courage. What puts the hottentot, what makes the hottentot so hot? What puts the ape in apricot? What have they got that I haven't got? Courage. It's great, isn't it? I like it anyway. (laughs) And when you have a granddaughter who comes every week and just wants to watch it week after week, it gets in your head. (laughs) But what did Stephen have that made him stand up? Courage. And where did the courage arise from? His certainty that Jesus is the Lord, that he is risen from the dead, and that he has poured out his spirit, and it was that spirit that was coursing through his very being. That's where his passion came from. So, Heavenly Father, can you do it with us, please? Please, in Jesus' name, amen.